On today's show, the Cleveland Cavaliers took care of business after a tough first half to beat the New Orleans Pelicans. We're going to break down that game in full on today's show. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. All right, the music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. Check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. Thanks again for making Lockdown Cabs your first listen every day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. As always, I'm Chris Manning. I'm covering the Cavs and the NBA large for places like Diamond Up Rocks and SB Nation's Fear the Sword. That man over there is Evan Damrell. You can catch him at Fear the Sword as well. He's also the proprietor of Write Down Euclid. Today's show, segment one, we're going to look at how Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen really helped carry the Cavs to a win after Donovan Mitchell was limited to six minutes or so in the second half due to groin injury. Segment two, we're going to give it our game awards from the Cavs' win over the Pelicans. In segment three, Malik Beasley, possible trade target. That's according to NBA insider Mark Stein. But Evan, Cavs win 113-103. to 103. I... If you would have told me this year that they would have games like this where like it's a slog in the first half coming off this road trip, Donovan Mitchell leaves with an injury and, you know, it, it everyone kind of really started slow, at least from the guard spot. And then Mobley, Allen and Garland really kind of take everything home and are, and are really big in this fourth quarter. Garland finishes with 30 and 11 and, and six boards. You know, Mobley is perfect at the rim. Allen is 24 and 11. Mobley had 19 and not oh, 19 and eight. Um, excuse me. This, 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 those guys stepping up in the absence of Mitchell, who has so often this year been the closer. And when they, when he couldn't in this game, for health reasons, these other guys stepped up, and it, it was a big deal. Yeah, and full disclosure for those who maybe don't remember or know, um, Donovan Mitchell pulled his groin, his left groin, in the third quarter and was ruled out. Well, so at least considered questionable. JB Bickerstaff was asked by a friend of the program, Danny Cunningham about it. And Bickerstaff was unsure the severity of it or also unsure whether or not Mitchell could check back in. But yeah, that's my biggest takeaway here is, and I think if you circle back to Monday's episode, I kind of talk about this a lot. Like Donovan Mitchell by and far is the best player on the Cavs this season. He also is their most full offensive player as well. And there's going to be nights where he either doesn't have it or there's going to be nights where he's limited because of an injury like he was tonight in the second half and also just only had, I believe, five attempts in the first half overall. And like just his shot wasn't falling at the all the time zone shifts. The fact Cass played at the clock today certainly uh, messed things up for them a little bit internally as well. But you instead saw your other stars, at least in this instance, step up. And the Cavs have been kind of waiting for a guy to step up to kind of complement what Mitchell provides you or more or less make up for what there might be a lack of Mitchell at night because he's not going to be perfect for all 82 games or however many games he does play from this season. There's going to be moments in the playoffs as well where they're going to need a player to emerge like this and like this instance of Mopley playing very well, Allen playing very well, Darius Garland kind of showing flashes of he was last season too. Like the bones are still good for the Cavs. Like they have good bones and now they're just building upon what they have. And I think you're starting to see maybe a little bit more of just like that intricate type of walk between like player development and winning now and just figuring out everything everywhere in between. And you're kind of watching this very young team continue to grow up and learn who they 
be long term. What what I come away from this game thinking, Evan, is is this is kind of like a reminder of the of last season to some degree, right? The 2021-2022 season, particularly after Ricky Rubio uh, left with the ACL injury and is done for the year. So much was, I think, put on Garland's shoulders. So much was was at that point kind of thrusted upon him. It was one of the things that really, I think, limited them when they got to the playing tournament was everything having to be about what Darius Garland could could do you. Garland in this game didn't even have like kind of efficiency wise or anything have like a, a perfectly monster game. Like he, you know, he wasn't particularly like good in the first half. He something he kind of alluded to in his postgame comments. But he shows up really big in the fourth quarter, finishes with a third point. Here's his fourth quarter stat line, which which I thought was just a highly, highly impressive body work for him. 14 points, played all 12 minutes, four of eight from the field, three of four from three, three of three from the line, two assists. So he kind of ramps up the scoring, is doing so much there. And like in assist wise, and I think credit to Ricky Rubio in the minute in the about six minutes he played in the fourth as well. You got like they were really good at, at kind of saying, okay, like, look, we need to get downhill. We have to get offense in other ways. We feel like we can get Jared Allen into advantageous positions. We can get Evan Mobley into advantageous positions. Those guys got a lot of looks at the rim and were really, really good at finishing them and getting to the free throw line. Evan Mobley, like, only has three points in the quarter, but it's all from the free throw line. Jared Allen had 12. Six of them came from the free throw line. They got really aggressive, adjusted the game plan kind of dealt with some suboptimal spacing. Like Okoro and Stevens both played big minutes in the fourth. They shared the court together for the last six minutes, and they just kind of made it work. And look, in the first half, I didn't think this is where this was going. This did not feel like the kind of performance Cleveland was going to get and get a win. And I think it kind of needed coming off of the end of that road trip and that disappointing loss in Minnesota. That The last chunk of how they kind of won this game was a throwback and kind of an impressive one to me. Yeah, it was a it was a big time throwback. And when you note the minutes, like not just Darius Garland who played the entire quarter, it was Evan Mobley and Jared Allen as well. And like all three of these guys stepped up in a major way in very different ways. And like you said, a lot of it was Garland being the head of the snake and also Ricky Rubio when he was out there making plays as well. But like Cleveland only scored nine baskets in the fourth quarter, four of which were from three point range with three of those Garland and one of those surprisingly coming from Isaac Okoro, who's becoming a more confident shooter, I think is a fun development we're seeing at least over the last few games, but only four assists on those nine makes. And as Chris noted, the Cavs got to the free throw line 15 times in the fourth. And I think that's the biggest thing is they forced New Orleans to defend them and meet them at the rim. And Evan Mobley didn't make a single bucket at the rim because the Pelicans had to respect him being perfect from the floor up to that point at the, at the rim as well. So and you saw it as well with Jared Allen, but he had a little bit of a mix between the two. So like those two were feasting. Um, Darius Garland did joke post game that like it's easier to keep his bigs protecting him on defense, especially if he feeds them on offense. So I think that's just a good way to look at it, too, is like Garland is aware of who he is. I think, again, he if you ask him like, hey, Darius, would you rather be a playmaker or just a guy who's consistently getting buckets for this team? He would rather probably say he would rather at least that. He wants to get everyone else involved and kind of move the rock a lot. And you saw that in those 11 assists. And a lot of them were force feeding Jared Allen and force feeding Evan Mobley, who was playing with a ton of energy in this game, too. So this is just a big game for just kind of the three other young stars that share the floor with Donovan Mitchell on a nightly basis to kind of step up a little bit and show some of that growth and maturity from last season where maybe they showed a little bit of inexperience or they just didn't at least know how to win games when kind of like they have this I wouldn't want to say crutch at least but like Donovan Mitchell carries them so much on offense like they don't have 
old reliable to lean on and then they have to dig deep and go out there and beat a team that is pretty feisty in new orleans and kind of scrapping with you every step of the way yeah and look i the other thing that i i think was notable in the fourth is that like the six minutes you got from ricky rubio mattered a ton he has been really fun since he's come back and like the juice he's providing in in those minutes it's you could almost feel like I kind of wondered like what it was going to look like when he went off and they they did very they did just fine without him. Uh, survived a couple goofy turnovers late that I'm sure Bickerstaff was not thrilled about. But I found the Rubio minutes in the fourth quarter just to be like probing and again another throwback to, to last year to Sunger. He doesn't even make a shot in that fourth quarter. Um and he only has um I'm looking at this now. He only he didn't have an assist in the fourth. Like he didn't exactly like provide you like with stuff that showed up in the stat line it just felt like he was keeping things and helping it function when he was out there yeah he won't really have like a huge physical impact i just don't think that's going to be present and pertinent until rubio is off this minutes restriction he went slightly above that 15 minute cap that jb staff tried to give pregame against new orleans just i think the mitchell injury did certainly change the trajectory on this a lot but like you said, like he gives this cast team a lot of juice. He gives this team a lot of really, really good looks. Like there's times where like you saw him like kick it to Kevin Love or you saw him just pepper it across the court and like New Orleans smartly either defended or trying to intercept the pass. But Rubio just juices this team in a certain way that the Cavs are kind of lack times. And it is certainly interesting to watch. Like there are now situations where you don't see either Mitchell or Garland on the floor and it's just the Rubio show. And I think you're trying to figure out like a balance between those three still. And now, if you're Cleveland, this extra ball handling you have with such a cerebral playmaker who provides you a spark off the bench, it could shift your focus a little bit from, okay, we need a little less ball handling now. Maybe we need some more shooting just because Kevin Love doesn't have it as of late. Uh, We'll talk about that in Sat of the Night soon, but it's that. Or like Jetty Osmond can't be consistent or like Karis Lever just wasn't having it tonight either. So like maybe you just need a little bit more of a consistent option to unlock Rubio a bit. But like this Cavs team is juiced when they're playing with him. and. He is really good at getting the ball in the right spots and wherever the Cavs just kind of needed it the day. Yes. All right. We'll come back after this. We're going to give out our game awards. That's MVP. That's stat of the night. That is play of the night. But first, got to give you our first ad read of the day and tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. There's this great app I use that helps me keep track of all my expenses. And because of it, I no longer waste money on subscriptions I don't even use. You might have even heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't even know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Testimonials back this up. Uh, at the Liberty HB on Twitter wrote, yes, wholeheartedly, an intuitive money app is hard to come by. Get it. And then in a response to a survey, a user said it is the best app I've ever used. Cancel those unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Seriously, this could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Okay, back here, Locked On Cast Podcast, Chris Manning and Evan Damerel. Evan, my MVP, I'm going to go Darius Garland. Darius Garland is, I I think there's three realistic picks for this game. You can obviously, I think, pretty much identify who those are going to be in Mobley Allen and Garland. 
I just thought the ball control, the feel, some of the absurd three-pointers he was making and pull-up sense and him getting a little greedy, him getting a little, hey, I got to step up and make shots tonight with, with Donovan not here. I just, they're not like, yes, Mobley was great. Allen was great. There, there's just no way that anything functions the way it did unless Garland's doing what he's doing. Uh, so that's a great pick. And mine's going to kind of go hand in hand with yours a little bit. And you had mentioned them. I'm going to do the Atlanta Hawks January Eastern Conference Player of the Month pick and just say it's it's all three of Garland, Mobley, and Allen. Like if you don't have all three of these guys step up like you did and play with so much energy and presence of mind to, again, put away a New Orleans squad that the Cavs more or less was losing to for the powder part of this game like in the first half they were down 50 to 47 they tied things up in the third or not tied things up but like were within striking range in the third quarter and then go on a huge run in the fourth and if it's not garland's offensive scoring or playmaking or if it's not at mobley and allen just providing you rock solid defense and also you know lamar stevens stepping up and isaac okoro stepping as well and like you mentioned this in the first segment the fact that they're able to function with so little spacing out there and just kind of carry this Cavs team to a win when they just need it the most is it was very impressive so it's a cop-out to an extent but yeah it's r.i.p to the atlanta hawks of yesteryear when their starting five was named player of the month together so good good stuff for the Cavs tonight yes all right let's go to our stat of the night evan mine is this 11 points for Donovan Mitchell. Now, you may ask, why is Chris picking Donovan Mitchell only scoring 11 points for his stat of the night? Here's why. It's a new low for him in a Cavs win this season. All season, and for the most part, Mitchell has scored lots of points, including the game where he had 71. Pretty good. And it has been a big driver of Cleveland's success. This, the elite scoring he's provided, the way that's juiced their offense and given it, it just a, a, higher, a higher level than it was at last year. Previously, his low in a game that they won was a 13-point night and a 26-point win over the Heat back in November. A very different kind of game. So I just look at this, and there's other things you could pick. You could pick advanced stuff, numbers at the rim, any of that stuff. Mitchell had 11 points in a win, and the Cavs kind of had to get grimy and get it done. I, I That, to me, just feels like emblematic of what this night was. I think that's a great pick at the statistically at the end of the day. It is interesting just like this because it felt like it was going to be one of those ugly wins for the Cavs. And then it became like a very spicy fourth quarter for them where they kind of just put their foot on the gas a little bit. Maybe you see a little bit more of maybe this Cavs team still kind of finding their identity at times too because like they aren't and kill from the beginning because it's just a waste of energy to be like that for a full 48 minutes. But it'll definitely be something worth watching and i think it is interesting and mine is somewhat similar it's just the fact that kevin love is six of 38 three-point range in january and we'll talk about this more later in the week you and i talked about this at the game tonight that like we need to do a little bit of a deep dive into kevin love but it's just the lack of bench production just to kind of supplant and support what this starting trio has or just also what donovan mitchell is bringing you has been a little frustrating if you're cleveland like jetty osman only played five minutes tonight but his shot wasn't falling in the instance. The one shot he took didn't fall. He was one of two from the free throw line and wasn't playing very good defense. I think that's why he got the hook and the Cavs were trying to win ugly in this one. And I don't know, just like Kevin Love's shots not falling. You wonder if the thumb is still an issue for him. But again, we'll, we'll talk about it more in the in an episode later this week. But it is just mildly concerning that like he's one of your reliable three-point sh- threats off the bench and he's just not producing. Yeah, it's just not... The Kevin Love vibes are kind of like the weirdest thing going on right now. Obviously, like the Rubio thing is really, I think, buoyed people's moods. 
the love thing is like this weird thing and it's 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 going to be like a discussion point until or or if we can kind of get brighter and we find or we learn more about what's up with that hand and and if that's kind of the hamburger for if he's just in a funk and and can he play out of it uh let's go to play of the night evan mine's a i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of cheat like you did but i feel like it's a little bit less cheating so i feel okay about it it's kind of a two-way play here so fourth quarter Rubio gets a stop one-on-one against DJ McCollum on the other, on one end. Just handles the being in isolation against McCollum perfectly, defends it perfectly. Again, I would maintain that last year the biggest impact Rubio had for the Cavs was defensively. This is the kind of stuff he can do, and he's going to provide you in addition to the the, the Rubio genius on offense. Yeah. Leads, leads to Darius Garland. Well, but leads to D- Darius Garland getting out on the break, gets down for a dunk. Cavs go up eight at that one point. It's not their biggest lead of the night, but just really good two-way stuff, the kind of stuff they needed if they were going to win this game. And just one of those ways Rubio, I think, had a contribution without kind of putting up 30 or, or whatever it was. That's a that's a good pick. And I think when you look at just Ricky Rubio as a whole, J.B. Bickerstaff really did hit the nail on the head that he won't play 30 to 35 minutes again for the Cavs this season or maybe the rest of his time in the NBA or at least with Cleveland. Um, and just kind of asked like what, will we see from Rubio at this point this season? Um, he said, well, we'll see flashes of the guy he was last year. And I think that play alone was like a very strong instance of him just playing bigger than who he is and being a really good defensive compliment to Darius Garland at the end of the day. And it's an interesting dynamic. I really want to see more of like the Rubio Garland Mitchell lineups, but like it's an interesting playmaking ball handling and just like defensive wrinkle, especially with Mitchell being more committed to with the Cavs mm-hmm. compared to just how he played with Utah. Like this could be a very, fun playoff lineup too, especially when you want to slow things down in half court sets with like Allen and Mobley as well. Uh, what is your, what is your play? So I'm surprised you didn't take this one, but Isaac Okoro had a really nice dunk off of Darius Garland feed, but Okoro dunked along the baseline in order to get it. And he almost had another instance of it where he did it by himself, where he just had a cut with the ball in his hands and he, Oh, when he drove went to dunk with his then, left oh. arm and then like it didn't go in. I was like, yeah, he would have brought the house down. I think that would have been both our picks, but, it happened, I think, a play or two before when Garland just ditched it to him with a coral cutting on the baseline and the defense collapsing. Garland trying to drive into the paint. Like it was just good playmaking. Like you said, Darius was instrumental in kind of leading this Cavs comeback and kind of sealing the win for Cleveland. So it's a simple play, but it was exciting. And also, it's just nice to see Isaac Okoro kind of showing a lot of that potential that you and I were especially believing in. And I think he is settling in nicely, at least for what the Cavs need right now at the starting three spot. Yeah, he's playing well. And again, I, I think if you don't think he's playing well of late, you're just, you're being weird about him. Um, I understand the limitations. And like, it was two things that were very funny about this game before we wrap up chatting about it. Number one, the game within the game with between him and McCollum was like kind of funny to watch because CJ McCollum was often guarding Okoro and we just leave him alone. Just like didn't care. And like twice, a couple times Okoro made him pay once he missed it. And like McCollum had like a, just kind of brushed him off and just let him go. And that was weird. And then Okoro on the other end is like the complete opposite. When he's guarding McCollum, he is like up in his grill, just like all upon him. Uh, like I think like goes hugging him at one point, just like kind of gripping him, just trying to be very physical. And like late in the game, McCollum gets a technical because he thought Okoro fouled him on a drive. And it was maybe he did. I haven't seen the play. I like get a good enough angle to tell you. But he felt that he, McCollum clearly felt that he did. And Okoro was just like up in his grill. And there's this little kind of, Tete a tat with those two. And then the other thing with Okoro is that there was a stretch of this game, which was for the, for that time, the best the Cavs has played the whole game. And it was Okoro and Stevens together on the floor 
which is just like a thing that probably should not happen. Yeah. Functionally speaking, like the spacing of that is, I mean, good for Bill Filippo and you, like two absolute sickos who love Lamar Stevens and Isaac Coro. Well, no, Bill is Bill is uh, Bill is not a particular Bill who was at this game wasn't is not particularly an Okoro guy. No, you're an Okoro guy. He's a yeah. Stevens guy. So yeah, it's just yeah, like thunder and lightning. Go state, go state, baby. But it was yeah. Functionally speaking, like that lineup shouldn't work just in terms of spacing. And I they had like Ruby. It was Rubio Garland. Mitchell, sorry, no, no, no Rubio, was... Garland, Okoro, Stevens, and Allen. Yeah. And if you look at that real lineup on paper, um, with the it's... rehabbing non-burst Ricky Rubio, you have one shooter out there. <laughs> yeah, it's it even like healthy Rubio is not like exactly like a knockdown plus shooter. And it is just like, what if it's just like it's just like sometimes that lineup has like worked and it doesn't make sense that it works. I don't really buy that it'll work like when the chips are all down or whatever, but it's just like mm. it worked for a couple minutes in this game and that was a button uh, pulled. We did, I don't think there was any Jetty Osmond in the second half, I'm pretty sure. I'm um, checking no. this, checking myself. Now, I had no Jetty Osmond in the second half. It's like you did, he went the complete other way and goes to Stevenson. It's like, oh, it worked. And like that drives uh, people crazy and I understand it. And I, again, like I, I have some skepticism about it as well, but. Just it worked in this game and it, it was weird. And this game had some weirdness too. But Evan, let's go into one more break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about Malik Beasley, the Utah Jazz wing, as a possible Cavs trade target and, and debate his fit a little bit as we're getting closer and closer to the trade deadline. But you have an ad read for us first. You're absolutely correct, my friend. Today's episode of Locked on Cavs is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this year. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there. Pro football to college, bowl season to basketball, and so much more. They've got it all at betonline.net. For title odds, the Celtics have the best odds at plus 400. The Bucks are second at plus 600. The Nets are at plus 750, and the Warriors are at plus 900. The Cavs, meanwhile, come in at plus 1,800, the eighth best odds in the NBA. And if you track advanced stats, this Cavs team may have the making of a championship squad, so maybe throw a little Skrilla bet online's way. And also, if you love sports podcasts like this one, you can even find those on Bet Online as well. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, back here, Locked On Cast Podcast, Chris Manning, Evan Damerel. Last segment for you today. So, Evan, Malik Beasley, Utah Jazz wing, Mark Stein, uh, the longtime NBA insider. You've read him at places like ESPN, New York Times. He's now uh, on Substack. This is what he wrote um, in his latest kind of trade rumor column that you can read at his Substack. Quote, as part of the Cavs' ongoing search for wing upgrades, league sources say they have weighed pursuing a three-way trade scenario that would land Atlanta's John Collins with the Jazz and bring Utah's Malik Beasley to Cleveland. The Jazz have a well-chronicled interest in Collins, but to this point have given the Hawks pause by seeking additional draft compensation for taking on Collins, who still has three seasons left on his five-year, $125 million contract after this one. Karis LeVert's $18.8 million expiring contract is the Cavaliers' most obvious trade trip. Trade chip, excuse me. So, Evan, you you see the Malik Beasley, you read this report from Mark Stein, what do you what do you make of of Beasley as as someone the Cavs could look at at the trade market here? So what Stein said does track. I think the Jazz are just an odd team where they're like they're trying to build towards the future. They want to find more playing time for some of their younger players. And Malik Beasley has a team option. I was wrong on this one when Chris and I were talking about it earlier. But 
guys like him, maybe like Rudy Gay is a name kind of keeping worth keeping your eye on as well. But like the two biggest names to emerge up to this point are Tim Hardaway Jr., which Chris Fedor and both Mark Stein have corroborated on. And then now Malik Beasley as well. Like those are kind of the two hot names to maybe circle at least uh, when you're heading up closer to the trade deadline. This kind of goes with what I was saying before that. Now that you have Garland and Mitchell and now a Ricky Rubio who's starting to come back to the floor and kind of come back to form, you don't need a guy like Karis LeVert at the end of the day who is more ball handling. And JB was asked about this pregame where like, hey, you have Ricky back. Do you still, what do you want to do with Karis now? And like Karis LeVert's strength is him having the ball in his hand, kind of just initiating the offense, probing things. And I think the Cavs have found mixed success, like running spread pick and roll lineups with Lavert kind of being like the second or third option next to like Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland in certain sets, but it's still a learning process for Cleveland. Now you're trying to integrate a six-man veteran and Rubio to kind of make things work again and maybe find some bench production there. But if you were to ask me, like I think I'd prefer Malik Beasley over Tim Hardaway Jr. right now, just because of the age aspect. I think Beasley's contract or age and his contract to an extent slotted nicely with Cleveland, and also like the team option if it doesn't work. You can always pick it up and use him as a trade chip next year because I think there's going to be more intrigue in Beasley because of his age. But I don't know. There's also a reason why I'm podcasting and not running an NBA organization. So, but if you're asking me like 30,000 feet up, like Beasley does make a lot of sense for this team. Like, but there are some fair criticism questions with his fit, like in terms of size, defense, things like that as well. But the Cavs just need more shooting and they just have an overabundance of non-shooting on their roster, especially with like Kevin Love not producing and Jetty Osmond not getting consistent minutes. Like you need to kind of look elsewhere to see like, okay, let's canvas the NBA. How can we get some shooting just to kind of support this really rare instance of like four star players on the floor under contract at the same time? Because like you need spacing to make Mobley and Allen work. And also it makes life easier for, Mitchell and Garland as well, because you're not consistently asking them to bail them out with like point heroics. So I, I like this in theory. I think the stretch is like obviously very necessary. Levert doesn't totally provide that. He's the contract you would use to do this. I, the, what I what I tend to think that this isn't the perfect fit by any means. He is just like a so-so to below average defender. He's not going to like be the 3.5 kind of bigger wing type that I think you'd ideally want. Those guys are going to be really hard to find. I it, all indications right now is that like Bojan Bogdanovic, Kuzma, like Harrison Barnes are either unavailable or the price is going to be out of Cleveland's range because they they send all their cachet of picks for Donovan Mitchell, which they should have done, and that has obviously paid off. I think like this is the if you're going to try to get a, a wing up, this is like the framework of a wing I would I would look at because. He's just going to provide you movement shooting, and like every team needs movement shooting, floor spacing off of the ball. Like he, this is a guy that has shot forty above forty percent from three four times in his career. He's at thirty six percent this year, which is a little bit below what he has been every every year for the last several years, dating back to his time in Denver and then in Minnesota and then Utah. You'd expect that to get a little bit better. Uh, maybe corner threes get a little bit better. And he's just going to shoot a lot of them. Like he's just going to launch threes at a pretty high clip. And the Cavs need that. Like they need someone to provide stretch from the corners, from the wing to give you a little bit more cover for, for a court to just make life easier for your bigs. More importantly, that those are things you need in a wing. I, and I, I think the point you made that I think is dead on accurate versus him versus Hardaway, who would provide a lot of the same thing. And here, what I like about it is this, he's four years younger. Hardaway's 30. Beasley's 26. That that matters. That does. Yeah, I would bet on the pre thirty guy, and on top of that, 
you get the team option, you pick it up, you you trade for him, you're picking it up. Like if you're going to tr- like you're going to do that. What you would then do is either okay, we ride this out with him, maybe we extend him, maybe whatever, or that becomes the trade chip. And like Hardaway Jr yeah. would provide some of the same thing, be and he has 2 years on his deal after this one, which is a but like that, but like does he what is the uh, it, the it's it's the number it, what it I, that I don't view it as so tough because I think the the package that as you go forward is once you can trade another first round pick, the idea is to take this salary and a first and and like and cobble together whatever else you can and try to find a move that way. I think that's what you're probably doing. But in the world where like you want a little more flexibility, Beasley is going to be the attractive option. Now, what mm-hmm. I what gives me pause about this being a realistic option is if you read the report, the Jazz are the the team like who I think John Collins is the best player of the three guys in this trade. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's pretty clear. But they want draft picks for taking on John Collins's contract. Is what if you read that report? That is what that screams to me. This seems like the trade would be the Cavs get shooting they need. Atlanta saves money because they get Karis Levert's expiring contract and get off John Collins, who they've wanted to trade it for about a thousand years at this point. And 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 you, it's just in whole. And Hawks are weird. Shout out Brad Rule and check out Locked On Hawks. And Utah gets John Collins, and but they want the picks from Atlanta. The Cavs, mm-hmm. if they really want to get this done, have to just like trade seconds or like other expiring salaries to kind of like give these teams salary relief. Like that's all they can offer right now. Is that enough to get Beasley when like I could imagine him having other suitors? I could imagine New Orleans being like, we have 80 bajillion first round picks. Let's trade yep. Devontae Graham and another salary and like let's bring him in and, and get more shooting on the wing. Like you get the Grizzlies have other picks. They have salaries that could cash in for a shooter like this if they wanted to to give them more stretch around Jaw and JJJ and Bain. Um, like they. This will be really, I think, relying on the Cavs getting in the right conversation and working with teams I worked with before to find a deal, and it just kind of breaking right in their favor. They they have a very hard cap on what they could offer for Beasley or anything else that they might want. Yeah, that's the issue of in of itself too. It's just like trying to acquire Beasley is going to have to work with the Jazz, which yeah, the Cavs have a very good working relationship with. They got Donovan Mitchell and the fact that like Jordan Clark's the Jordan Clarkson trade and the Kyle Korver trade and. There, there's countless others as well when it comes to like Utah sent them no Sacramento sent them George Hill but either way like they were able to salvage their season and jettison Jay Crowder out there too like the, the, the Cavs have a good relationship with the Utah Jazz in terms of working with them it's just the issue like Chris said it's not just a singular or three team trade in this instance or these are the only three teams that are negotiating uh, trade talks in terms of Malik at the end of the day like the Cavs are competing with every team in the NBA like heck even Atlanta could like just say hey we'd rather have Malik Beasley if we like include John Collins maybe like they can punt uh, one of their younger players off the uh, back end of the rotation too because the Hawks have a lot of young first rounders on their end of things that they just aren't finding playing time for right now too so like it's tough it's tricky I was talking to people who cover the Mavericks a little bit more closely like I think there are some legs to the Tim Hardaway Jr. deal it's just tough if you're Dallas because you're not getting a ton of salary relief you're getting a little bit of tax relief at the end of the day if you trade Tim Hardaway Jr. for Karis Levert like let's say like you remove Levert Christian Wood and I'm forgetting the other name or uh, Maxi Cleva right now I believe and like the Mavericks still don't have a ton of salary cap to work with but they still have a boatload of picks to go and acquire Luca. it's just maybe they again like you said like the Cavs can attach a tangible we'll pick THJ maybe the Mavericks step back a little bit as well and say like okay maybe we wait this out of year attach one of a couple of these first rounders and use hardaway's salary along with others to go get an actual starter play next to luca i don't know it's going to be tough 
I think the Cavs are going to be uh, forever the bridesmaid, never the bride in a lot of these trades too, just because they emptied the clip to get down of Mitchell. And at the end of the day, we talk about this a lot. Um, Cleveland's big move is getting Donovan Mitchell over the summer. Now they're trying to just work within the margins of what they have to upgrade some of the flaws and issues on this roster. It's just tough when you have to compete with every team in the NBA and not everyone's exclusively negotiating with you and you alone. Just true or false, Beasley would be an upgrade on uh, what they have in the wing now. True. Okay, I agree. I think he's like a... What I think is interesting is that he'd be like kind of like a Jetty Osmond spot upgrade. And like, I wonder how Bickerstaff would sort of like feel about that type of player. If you look, he's not a good defender. He's not a good defender. No, he's not. If you look through the lens of just he provides you shooting, which is such a premium commodity, no matter what the NBA, that warms me up more than just if you factor in the age aspect and then the contract logistics of it as well. I think if you're Cleveland, like you just don't rest on getting Malik Beasley. Maybe you try to expand this trade in. Like, yeah, Rudy Gay is tapped out physically, but like that's a bigger wing and a strong locker room presence, too, that you can kind of have is like more quality depth. And he at least provides you more shooting because you have to find some type of upgrades. And again, work within the margins. You're not going to make like some big splashy move and go get like the best small forward in the NBA. Um, Like Cavs aren't trading Evan Mobley to get LeBron James at the day. So (laughs) they have to kind of figure out the logistics of it. And also there's a very real and plausible scenario where the Cavs kind of stand pat. Maybe they make a small move and. Use that last roster spot, kind of explore 10 day signings and bring in like a veteran player to kind of support what they're working with. So we'll see. It's going to be a mad dash. I also think teams are kind of very prone to make bold proclamations now and then walking back those claims closer to the deadline itself just because like they need to make a deal in certain scenarios or just doesn't come to fruition. It's 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 always constantly evolving. Nothing is ever really static when it comes to this stuff. Like, again. Donovan Mitchell could have been a Nick. I think a lot of us expected him to be a New York Nick, but here he is uh, locked on Cavaliers and we're talking about him instead. I mean, I literally think we did a podcast that was like, hey, there's this report that the cat that the Cavs are in on him. Like, but like, we don't really think it's there's like a lot to this. And then it was like a week later. It's like he's a Cleveland boy. Like, I was golfing and wrong. Look, being wrong is is part of doing doing this whole thing. So it's what it is. All right. That, though, is going to be it for this episode of Lockdown Cavs. Thanks again. To Jake Stevens for producing this one. Please subscribe, rate, and review five stars only if you've not already. Or please give us a thumbs up on YouTube and subscribe mm-hmm. to that channel. Help us get to 3,000. We are almost to 3,000 subs. Help us get there. And thanks again for making us your first listen every day. Now make your second listen game to game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked on game to game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only locked on can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked in NBA. That's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.